If you have your Bibles with you, we're gonna, oh, we've got a lot of texts to look at tonight, but uh, one text I would like you to read with me later on is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, you, you're welcome to turn there so long. Is this bad boy? Let's see. Yeah, there we go. Welcome to uh, Jason. Good to have you here, man. And his whole fam family there. Your wife left you. He said he's married. I didn't believe him. Tonight he brought his wife to prove it. It's incredible. And Lindsay, Sister Bear. And I'm so sorry, cousin. I remember your name starts with an L. Lacey. Lindsay Lacey. Wonderful to have you here. And you two bad boys there at the back. Good to have you here as well. You guys are always welcome here. And uh, Jason's wife's name is Shaloa, right? Incredible. Good to have you here. Um, so, yes, um, this morning I had something else on my mind. You, you know what that is about if you were here this morning. Um, and so I was supposed to do this lesson for this morning because we are dealing with seeing the unseen. And tonight's title is Dancing with Devils. If you've been in the um, in this series, you'll know what it is about. It's about demons, about the unseen world, and it's about, you know, how does that affect us. So just a quick recap for those of you who don't know what it's what we've been saying is, well, what I've been saying and what I believe the Bible says is that Satan is an angel, okay, and he's a powerful angel. And at some point in the past, he, he was cast to the earth with, we believe, about a third of the angels in heaven due to what we read in the book of Revelation with a third of the stars being flung to the earth. And the details of that doesn't matter that much when it happened and how it happened and how involved the archangels were in this process. But the, the point I want us to get is that there's a third of heaven's angels on the earth. They are evil spirits. Okay, and they are here. Um, but what we have to take of, so that's essentially what we have to take note of. They are here. They are busy. And what we also discovered, which is, which is hard to accept, is that Satan rules this place. Right? The text says pretty clearly he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Jesus called him the ruler of this earth. That's hard to wrap our minds around. If you, if you want to deal with that, go listen to the previous lessons. Just to you know about why would God do that. So, um, evil spirits are in tune with our weaknesses. They know our weaknesses. I believe they observe us day and night looking for ways to tempt us. Um, they are observant. Um, their goal is primarily deception. They want us to believe lies that would lead us into sin and that would cause us to be separated from God. Uh, because they operate in the unseen, unseen realm, um, we, uh, we tend to ignore them or think that they don't exist. And that's where they get us. Um, just like the wind, we cannot see them, but we can certainly see what they do. If you open your eyes, you can see it very clearly. You've experienced it in your life. You know what temptation feels like. You've smelled evil. You've felt it. It's very, very real. So now notice this. They don't want to be detected. They don't want to be detected, but that is why we have the Word of God. The Word of God is there to reveal to us what we need to know and be aware of it. And you know in the previous lessons, for those who are new to this topic, it sounds a little bit eccentric, it's like, well, this guy's going to preach about demons and stuff. No, you know what this is about. We only talk about what the Bible tells us. Okay, so it, there's a different thing about talking about demons and giving them names and knowing where they live. That's a different subject matter. But when the Bible says demons exist and evil spirits are around and they possess people, I think we can trust what the Word says about it. And so we try to stick just to um, the, the Word. 
so that we're not unaware of how they operate. So the title of this lesson is uh, Dancing with Devils. Sometimes we uh, dance with evil spirits. We mingle with them. We have some company with them, and we don't even know it. There's a quote I came across that says the following. You can't keep dancing with the devil and wondering why you're still in hell. And I've come across this often. The guy's life is falling apart. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody this past week. I was like, um, you know, I don't understand it. You know, it feels like Job. You know, our finance is just a mess. We don't get out of debt. And we, this, that. And I, I look at the stuff that he buys. And I'm like, um, you complain about your financial situation, but you're in debt everywhere. It's like, it's the decisions that you, that you make. And often we are, we are in a bad space spiritually simply because the decisions that we make. Now, how did we come to make those decisions? Well, temptation was involved. Temptation was involved. And these, these evil spirits are involved. So it's a good idea to evaluate how and where we connect with evil spirits. Um, we've spoken about temptation, so I'm not going to talk about that tonight. Um, but I want us to look at two other ways that we dance with the devil. So, so one way that we do dance with these evil spirits is through temptation, right? They tempt us and we, 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 we make decisions based on those temptations. But there's two other ways as well that we can come into contact with these spirits. And yes, 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 the first one. We can worship them. We can worship demons and evil spirits. That's what we read in the Bible. Yes, Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 to 6 you know this? And it's interesting that this is placed right in the beginning, in the front of the Ten Commandments. Do you know what's the very first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Do you believe that there's other gods? You're going to hear tonight that there are other gods. There are demons. And so when the Bible talks about other gods, it's referring to these spiritual beings. Now, they're not gods as God, but human beings worship them, okay? That's why he goes to the second command and he says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why does he say that? What does it matter if I bow down to a, a palm tree? It doesn't matter, does it? I, I've been to, I, I've, we've been in Thailand. Has any of you seen idol worship on planet earth today? Anybody? Yeah, you've seen it, brother. I've seen it. I didn't know it exists. I went, we went to Thailand, and they've got these images of these gods they worship there. And there's like food everywhere and, and cans of drinks. Like somebody would walk past, open a can of Coke, put it down for the god to drink. Like, I'll go drink all of those, those things. That's not a real god. And you walk there, and there's sandwiches and burgers, and I'm like... Your God, can't you see that and eat it? Do you go tomorrow, to, the next day, to just check if... The, so, so, people still worship idols today. And this isn't, this isn't totally irrelevant. Now, in Israel, <coughs> or at least in Canaan, you know that there are some idols that the Canaanites worshipped, right? There's one in the New Testament. This wasn't really um, during the Canaanite era, but there was Pan. Do you remember Pan? He was half goat, half man. Some, I think he was the child of Zeus or somebody, but he was some idol that they worshipped in Caesarea Philippi. You read in the Bible often about Asherah poles. You, you've read that in the Bible, Asherah pole, that's an idol. And, and I know, I'm, I'm sorry about this, this is X-rated, everybody just close your ears, but it's, it's, it's the male sexual organ. 
So you see, walking in the field, and there's this pole standing there. And you know what that symbolized? It symbolized fertility, because Asherah was a fertility god. That's the thing that produces life. And so they worship these poles. It's a weird world, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the, the time of the Canaanites. Now, what is so bad about bowing down to a piece of rock or a piece of steel? What's so bad about it? We know that there's nothing spiritual happening there, right? You agree? I mean, if I, if I bow down to this chair over here, is it going to mean anything? Absolutely not. It's just a piece of wood, right? You agree with me? So, take note. This text, the Israelites had just come from pagan Egypt, and they were, they were on their way to pagan what? Canaan. And the Ten Commandments are placed here, and God, he, from the beginning, you don't worship other gods. He says to them, hey, don't do what they do in Egypt, because what do they do there? They worship images. They worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the created matter. They worship animals. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And then he says, well, you're going to go to Canaan. So he warns them, don't look back and don't look at the Canaanites. You've got to clear yourself of worshiping other gods, because otherwise I will, I will depart from you. Um, and, and, he, and he places this text right in the middle, smack bang, as they are between these two pagan nations. Now consider two more scriptures. Deuteronomy 32, 16. They made him jealous with their foreign gods. There it is again. And angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods. There you have it. False gods, which are not God. They are false gods, but they're not Yahweh. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. So clearly there's a type of God in the world at this point in time. Let, let's go to Psalm 106, verse 36. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed, and this is to Molech, their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. This was a different world. Idol worship was not just worshiping a piece of wood in God's eyes. It was worshiping other gods. Behind those idols, behind this, this, this piece of wood, behind this wood, stands a god, small g. What is that god? What is that god that inspired me to worship a piece of inanimate matter? It's an actual spiritual being. That's the problem. You think it's just a piece of wood. No, it's not. The fact that you think you can worship inanimate matter tells me that you believe a lie. And that, that you believe um, that, that you're worshiping somebody else except who? The God of heaven and earth. So, worshiping the wooden image is worshiping the demon that created it. Now, just a side note, all people know there is a God. This is what I believe. And it seems like the, the text seems to indicate that to us. Every person on earth knows there must be a God. Somewhere deep inside of them. But not all people find Him. So everybody believes there must be something. Even the greatest atheists, if they're honest, there must be something, right? You can sort of 
feel it. But not everybody finds him. Do you know why? Because not all people want him. That was the problem with Jesus. They didn't want that type of God that's gracious and loving, that dies for people who don't deserve it. They wanted a God who brings justice, destroys the Romans. That's why they didn't like him. They couldn't, they couldn't understand this. And it's the same. I mean, if your heart is filled with darkness, you're not going to like the real God. And what do you do when you don't like the real God? Because you've got a darkened heart. Well, you believe there must be a God, but you don't want to accept that God, so what do you do? You create your own. You create a God that you like. And these gods, according to human nature, are usually associated with what? Sex, fertility, and pleasure. Because if the human, the fleshly human living in darkness, makes his own God, what's he going to do? He's going to choose something that he likes, that he cannot control. That he thinks is the greatest thing on earth. That's why in Corinth it was just prostitution worship. That, that was prostitutes was involved with worshiping the god Diana. And so it becomes fleshly. When Paul went into um, Mars Hill and he preached about the unknown god. They didn't want to give this god a name. He was talking about the real god of heaven and earth. Um, we see um, when... We see actually in Jesus Christ, and this is what I, I think is so powerful for me, is for all of these thousands of years, these pagan nations have been trying to understand who this God is that they believe existed, this unknown God. And they created their own gods. And sometimes it would be the sun, and sometimes it would be the moon, and sometimes it would be like Pan, or it would be like Asherah, or it would be Zeus, but they create this God in the way that they want God to be. So when Paul came and he preached this unknown God, it, it must have been so revealing to them because I think God, and I've shared this with you before, but I think God eventually said, because if you read from the front to the end of the Bible, what color is God? <laughs> That's a weird question. You don't know what God's color is? <laughs> there's definitely scriptures that says he's dazzling white. Nobody's ever seen God. In other words, he's invisible. We don't know. We've never seen him. Nobody's ever seen God. And then God comes in the midst of this pagan world. And what does he do? He plants himself physically on the earth in the form of flesh. It's the first time that God becomes visible. He says, okay, you guys are trying to figure out who, what the real God looks like. Here we go. Boom. There I am. That's why they didn't like him. Because that's not what they expected. What did he come to show? Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now they've got the physical God on earth, Jesus Christ. He's not an idol. Now he's a living being. You want to know what I look like? Look at Jesus. I think it's incredible. God silences the world once and for all. And the attributes of Christ tells you who God is. He's not like Pan or that pole on the hill. He's a person that loves a weak and miserable human race to the extent that he would die for them. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we don't live in Canaan. 
We don't have the type of idols everywhere. So let's bring this closer to home. And let's ask the question, what about the first century? Were there idols in the first century when, when these Christians were, were operating there in Corinth? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So then, verse 4. About eating food sacrificed to idols. There we go. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. We agree. And that there is no God but one. Yes, we agree. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. What? Paul is saying in the New Testament, there are many gods and lords. Yet for us, there is but one God. The Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He clearly tells us now, so it says clearly here that there are some gods, okay? And in two chapters later, look at what he tells us. Chapter 10. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, by the way. This is 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So clearly there was idolatry still happening. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we are many, or one body, for we all share the one loaf. Let's just pause there. When we partake of the Lord's Supper... This is where the Catholics get their idea from what they call transubstantiation. I don't know if you've heard that before, but they believe when you eat the, the bread, drink the wine, Jesus' literal physical body comes into your body. This is sort of where they get it from. Because look at what the text says. That when you participate in these things, there's definitely a spiritual connection taking place between you and Christ. This is bigger than what we think. Honestly. And you know why? Because read the next verses. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. Listen to this. Verse 20. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, if, if, you, if you were in the first century then, and you, you eat a piece of meat that was sacrificed to an idol, you're participating in the worship of demons. In the same way, you, you, you might say, well, the meat is nothing and the bread is nothing. But in the same way, look at what the text says. There's a spiritual connection with the being that is beyond that physical food. Therefore, when I participate in these emblems, I am directly coming into contact with the spiritual being behind these emblems. Yes, the bread and the wine is nothing. But by me doing this, I'm making contact with Christ. Isn't that incredible? But the warning is there, and it's not so much maybe in our world, but the warning is there for the opposite, right? Food is not just food if it's sacrificed to a pagan a god. If you participate in that, you're making contact with the demons on the other side. 
So there is a demon being worshipped. Now I think we can all agree, Old Testament through New Testament, demons are worshipped. Um, so I would say idolatry is worshipping something that was created. In the entire universe, there's only one being worthy of being worshipped. Who is that? The Creator. The Creator. One website I consulted um, says these are the following forms of idolatry. Fetishism or the worship of trees, rivers, hills, etc. Do you think that the, the, the human race is going in this direction? I think it's happening more and more. What do we call them? Tree huggers. Jason? Jason wants to cut down the trees. He doesn't like it when people hug trees. But there's definitely, there's a trend. Let's think carefully what's happening in our world. There's a trend towards elevating nature, the created order, over everything else. This planet and what's here. It needs to, look, I agree we need to protect the planet. Okay, but we also need to use the planet. God gave it to us. The planet is for us to su survive and to live. Okay, the planet isn't God. Okay, it's for us to use. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. If you, think, if, if you think about it literally, what's happening is, it's like kill babies, don't kill trees. It's crazy. If you look at it carefully, that's what's happening. Um, I, you know, I found it so, it's so funny. Um, my kids, when we arrived here, my kids have been walking barefoot in Africa. That's life, man. And then we go to Safeway, and they don't let us in. Your kids need to wear shoes. And Alfredo pointed out something last week. People take their dogs into Safeway. They don't go in with shoes. How does that work? The dogs can go barefoot. My kids can't. Like humans. Like animals have more privileges than my kids. And they go in naked. Can't I just bring in my kids naked? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, so, so the worship of trees, rivers, nature worship, the worship of the sun, moon, and stars as the supposed powers of nature. You will be surprised. We were in, where were we? We were, that lady, we were in, um, in uh, Sisters, and this lady starts talking to me there in Habitat for Humanity. And she tells me about how she, you know, consults the rocks and stuff about her destiny. And I'm like, fuck you, that's weird. I said, wow, you know, she literally believes the planet is like sort of the God. That we're all part of the planet. And it's interesting how this is increasing. And it's getting more, becoming more of a thing. If you look at, if you look at atheism, what does atheism say? Atheism says we're just animals. We are just part of the created order. What does atheism also say? We're just products of evolution. So we come from the earth. We are part of the earth. And there's, nothing, there's nothing bigger than that. And then lastly, hero worship. The worship of, of deceased ancestors or of heroes. Now in Africa, this is a big thing. People definitely worship their ancestors. It's a, it's a huge thing over there. Maybe not so much as here, but maybe there's a little bit more of hero worship here. Especially among the young people, right? Hollywood has produced some heroes, right? <clears throat> Do you see this? 
Worshipping the created instead of the creator. That is idolatry. Those phrases appear once in the Bible. Does anybody know where it appears? People who worshipped the created instead of the creator. Book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things. Rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Listen carefully. One of the sure signs of a society going downhill, down the moral tube, is when they emphasize worshiping the created. It's a sure sign. You're missing, missing the point. Because the human, the, the human being is a being created for worship. So he's going to always look for something to worship. And when you see the human being shift, Because he needs to find something to worship. When you see the shift, when the human starts worshiping the created stuff, then you know the demons are winning. Because that's what they want. So we are then still left with the question, maybe, what is idol worship in our time? And, And that's difficult to answer. But here are some quotes. Here's two quotes. That's quite interesting. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. Perhaps this is a modern form of idolatry. Perhaps. Using God. Idolizing what God can give you instead of worshiping God for who He is. And I think that there's a lot of that going on. Especially in what I spoke about this morning. Churchianity. I can't remember who who did I speak to this morning. Uh, It was Chuck and them, I think, about just about some of these wealthy pastors who have these... Incredible airplanes, aeroplanes. And, and they went to a church and I, I couldn't believe that this pastor was bragging about his, his holiday trips in Europe. And now he flew there with his own plane and the gold chains and everything. He couldn't believe that he's so blatant about his wealth. And then I said to him, because he, he didn't know this, but they deliberately do that. They have to display their wealth and their money. Why? Because they believe that when you have money and wealth, God's blessing rests on you. And he's the pastor of the church. And so people have to believe God's blessing rests on him. Because otherwise they won't listen to him. And so he uses his wealth to tell them, Hey, God likes me, guys. He really does like me. That that prosperity gospel is everywhere. And many people do church because they want money. They do church because they want God's blessing. They do church because they want this prosperity gospel. And unfortunately, it's preached by Christians, pastors. I might uh, ask them tonight, why are you here? Do you want God to do something for you? Like, uh, take you to heaven? Is that why you're here? You'd like to go to heaven, that's why you're here tonight? Or maybe you want God to fix your life? Or are you here simply to honor Him? Here's another quote. Our idols are not golden calves or carved statues. Idolatry is not tied to any specific idol. It it exists whenever we look at someone or something in the world around us to save and satisfy us. I think there's some truth in that. Now, that can be money. It can be a person. It can be a drug. It can be an adventure. For some people, their idol is just traveling all over the world, seeing different stuff. And here's the most difficult one. Sometimes we idolize our children. That's difficult. I was speaking as as a dad. 
I think the young people especially struggle with this. They, they don't really want God unless He can give them a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I see the young people, the teenagers, who find their meaning and their purpose and their safety in having somebody love them. It's very sad. They totally lack an understanding in the concept of God's royal and supreme position in the universe. He's the only one that can fill that void in our hearts. Now, idolatry is probably more of an issue to people outside of Christ, but perhaps this is just a reminder for us that He is the Lord our God, Him and Him alone, and He deserves all glory and honor. Remember the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Please read with me verse 4 and verse 5 again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There's only one God worthy to be worshipped. So the first point was this, that definitely these spiritual beings, we worship them. We can worship them. They lie behind the idols. There's a second thing, second way that we dance with these devils is we um, can welcome them. We can welcome them. I'd like to suggest at least four ways in which we can welcome evil spirits into our lives. The first thing is this, believing lies. We've spoken about this. Believing lies. 1 Timothy 4, 1-2 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So who does the teaching come through? People. People teach lies. And they are hypocrites. And you know what? Their consciences have been seared. In other words, they don't even care that they're lying. They'll do it with a straight face. Um, <coughs> and believing a lie affects your actions. Right? You'd agree with that. Believing a lie affects your actions. We align our behaviors with what we believe. That's why it's important. He just has to get you to believe something, and it's going to affect the way you behave. Uh, there's a new um, series on Netflix. It's called The Wacko, down in Wacko, Texas. I think it was in 1993. Apparently this... W-A-C-O. This is... Hey, this is African lingo here. Okay? African lingo. Waco. Since when is it a way? Waco. Adam's name is Adam. Then it must be Waco. The A, right? No, I'm just joking. I won't debate with you. Okay, Waco, whatever. And there's this cat there, David Gorish. You guys know about this? That's an incredible story. What's wrong with these people? Goodness gracious. These people, were, they were not demon-possessed. 
but they believed a lie. That's all. They weren't demon-possessed. They believed a lie, and it was in the name of Christ that they stood there. They believed a lie that caused them to kill cops, split marriages. That cat, this, this David Koresh guy, once again, this is classical paganism. The same as some of these Jehovah Witnesses stuff and the Mormons and stuff where they married 20 wives. This guy split up marriages so that he could take some of the guy's wives. It's incredible how it always diverts to sexuality. So, I mean, this lie was believed that the guy would say, you know what, I, I believe you, you can have my wife. Yeah. I'll elbow him in the head. It's not going to happen. So he split marriages. He married young girls. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be careful what we believe. In actual fact, in this world of today, in this world of today, I wouldn't believe anything if it's not in Scripture. We can't believe anything. So that's, that's the first thing. This is how you open yourself up to demons, believing lies, believing false stuff. So you've got to be careful who your friends are. Number two, inquiring from non-theistic spirituality. What does that mean? Things like astrology, um, seances, witches. Uh, I don't know. Has anybody here ever had contact with that? Anybody knows somebody who's gone to a fortune teller? Don't hunt on a fish paste with those guys. Those guys are operating in the spiritual realm, demonic spiritual realm. If you want to stay away from evil, stay away from those things. Um, I'm not going to go into all the scriptures, but stay away from people who can tell the future and stay away from people who play games to attract ghosts or demons, Ouija boards and whatever. Stay away from that stuff. Stay away from demonic symbols. Stay away from, this is going to sound crazy, voluntarily drawing blood. You know when people go and they say, well, um, you know, let's make a pact and you cut your hand, shake a hand. Here's an interesting study for you to go look at, and I might have spoken to you about this before, but interesting study to go look at. Go look at the times in the Bible where people cut bled voluntarily. There's always demons involved. Go check it out. Always. This is one of the key reasons why I'm scared to get a tattoo. Because it's voluntarily drawing blood. I don't want to do that. And I don't think God lets, is, is the Spirit leading us to draw voluntarily blood. Uh, I'll give you hints. Mount Carmel. What happened there? The guys who were sacrificing to Baal, what did they do? They cut themselves as they were worshipping. What about the, the legion that Jesus met? What did he do? That was in the tombs. Same thing. He cut himself. You go look at the biblical. So I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to, you know, go on to that. But harming yourself, that's not of God. Um, number, number three, unregulated inner turmoil. Unregulated inner turmoil. Look at this. 1 Samuel 16, 23. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then re relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. When Saul was refreshed... The evil spirit left him. Do you see that? It seems like it is the music that made this evil spirit leave him. 
But it isn't. It isn't the music doing it. Let's read another verse here. Oh, yeah, that's 1 Samuel 16, 23. Sorry about that. Then if you go to chapter, chapter 18, verse, verse 10, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. What do you see here? Do you see the contradiction between the two events? In both instances, David was playing music. In one instance, the spirit left Saul. In the other instance, it didn't. What was going on? Saul had an unresolved conflict in his heart. He had anger and jealousy. In the previous occasion, he managed to work through it. And when he worked through it, what did the spirit do? It left. The evil spirit left. But the second time, he didn't resolve the conflict in his heart. He couldn't deal with the jealousy and the anger, so what did he do? He picked up the spear and he tried to kill David. What is going on? Saul was not at peace. Previously, he was at peace. That's when the spirit left. Saul's feelings of anger and jealousy over David was the problem. If Saul regulated himself, his emotions, his inner being, that spirit would have left like it previously did. Ladies and gentlemen, we underestimate the value of inner peace. When we are at war inside ourselves, we become a breeding ground for evil. It is almost like stress eating. What do you do when you're stressed? When I'm stressed, I eat anything. When it's, when, I don't care what time of the night it is. I don't care if there's a billion calories in it. Three tons of sugar. I'm going to eat that thing because I'm stressing. I, I just do that. And I think it's the same with us when we under stress, we don't regulate our emotions that well. We don't think as pure as usual, especially when we are really upset. So we become more morally unstable. We are more likely to, see if you agree with this, more likely to steal if you are under financial stress. More likely to make bad financial decisions under financial stress. You are more likely to commit adultery under marital stress. The spiritual realm knows about these things and they keep track of it. So if you keep yourself intact and you regulate your inner being and you make sure that you keep at peace, you're keeping evil spirits at bay because they're waiting for those, those stressful times. Lastly, grieving the Holy Spirit. We welcome evil spirits in our lives when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Check out with me, 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you give access to other spiritual beings to impact you. Judges 16, 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Psalm 51 verse 11, David. So that was Samson, by the way, but now it's David. David, look at what he says to God. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. What? The people in the Old Testament understood that God could take His Spirit from you. It seems like the Spirit of God would come upon people and then leave people again. And then other spirits would come again and then leave again. That's what it seems like. So when the Spirit of God left due to their sin, their behavior, the content of their heart, that person seems to be like sort of fair game for evil spirits to come and do what they want. Now, the New Testament, however, seems to suggest that the Holy Spirit will never leave us. So I I don't want to impose this Old Testament conception of the Spirit onto the New Testament because it's two different worlds. We'll leave that for another study. Because the Holy Spirit is a seal, the New Testament says, right? That God seals you. You don't just open a seal and and throw it away. No, it's a guarantee of eternal life. That's what the text says. Not going to go into all the, the verses. Now, I'm not totally convinced about this because I don't believe it is impossible to lose your salvation. Here's a, here's a text, Hebrews 6 verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Listen to that. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. So if you look at that, ver- that text, it seems to suggest it's possible to taste in the Holy Spirit, to share in the Holy Spirit, and then to fall away. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't want to make a solid claim on that because it's, it's difficult to, to deal with. But it seems to suggest that the Holy Spirit can be in you, work in you, and be gone tomorrow. I don't want to go that far. But there are three additional passages of Scripture that come to mind on this topic. Firstly is Ephesians 4 verse 30 that says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. I don't want to guarantee tonight that the Holy Spirit will just leave you. But I can guarantee you that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Make the Holy Spirit cry by our behavior. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. And what I sort of see there is that the Holy Spirit is a flame that glows inside of you and and makes you a powerful witness and servant of His, but you can blow it out by your behavior and it becomes powerless. And then thirdly, Acts chapter 7 verse 51, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. So you can say, no, whoa, stop it, I don't want to do your will. And all three of those is a problem. When you resist the Holy Spirit, quench the Spirit... And you grieve the Spirit, you just open the door for evil to enter. Now, we do all three of these when we don't walk in the way of love. And there's a text for that, which I'm not going to share tonight. Sorry about that. Maybe you can go search for it. We do all three of these when we do not walk in the way of love. If, Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to... going to kick you in the kneecap. I'll never. I'll just choke him out, wake him up later. Honestly, the best way to protect yourself from the evil realm, this is what I believe, is to walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Love towards God and love towards His people. 
I believe if we do enough of this, evil and its spirits will eventually leave us. I, um, that's basically all I have for you tonight. That was a lot. I'm tired now. Throat is dry. But I pray that there's some thoughts in there that will bless you. Just want to recap with you. We can dance with demons when we fall for the temptation that they bring across our plate. We can definitely experience the work of demons in our, in our lives. Secondly, we dance with demons when we, um, when we worship them. And I think that happens when we create idols. You see, these guys want us to think that there's something bigger than God that can satisfy us and save us in this life. And sometimes it's money, and sometimes we think it's another person, and sometimes it is even church. Church can become an idol. When you say, well, I'm going to do church because I want stuff from God. No, church exists for people who want God, not want stuff from Him. So we've got to be careful of worshiping church instead of worshiping God. I don't think that's the case with us, but I do see it out there. And we also dance with demons when we welcome them. When we welcome them by listening to their false teaching, the deception, when we fiddle around with some of the, you know, with seances and spiritual games and calling ghosts and worshiping ancestors or calling on the ancestors. So I think we need to be, we need to be careful. I, th I think the most important thing for me is, is just not to grieve the Spirit. Resist Him or anything related to that and just to walk in the way of love. All right. Any thoughts? Got one minute left. Anything you'd like to ask or say?